She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Season 2. Episode 15. Fresh Bones. In this episode, after two Marines working at an immigration detention center purportedly kill themselves, the wife of one of them calls Mulder and Scully in to help to prove it wasn't a suicide. There's a strange symbol at the scene of his death, which appears to have ties to voodoo. Most refugees at the camp are Haitian, and one of them is rumored to have powerful magic. Mm. This episode was written by Howard Gordon, and it was directed by Rob Bowman. It was filmed at the Versatile Shipyard and the North Shore Cemetery, both of which are in North Vancouver, British Columbia. Its original air date was Friday, February 3rd, 1995. And it had a viewership of 17.8 million in the United States. And that will make it the most viewed episode of any X-Files episode until season three, which means that season two is all downhill from here. So there you go. Huh. It's interesting because you know it does kind of pick up steam and like by season three it's incredibly popular so it's interesting that the viewership kind of peaks kind of mid-season and is then gonna level yeah. back out. well we're still in that weird volatility of it going up and down up and down up and down we've ratcheted up on the roller coaster and we're about to um so go down a little bit <laughs> go down a little bit yes that would be a nice way to say it yes so. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So as we open, we are in Folkstone, North Carolina. And we see a young woman. She's lying in bed. We'll find out her name is Robin McAlpern. And she wakes up and her child is crying. So she kind of was like, your turn. So she's like talking to her partner. But then she gets no response and then realizes her partner's not in bed. So she jumps out of bed and heads down the hall. And the bathroom door is shut. And we hear someone inside. It sounds like they're like vomiting or retching or something like that. There's water running. And she's like, honey, honey, are you still feeling sick? And then her husband, Jack, opens the door and complains. He's like, can't you hear the baby crying? And then he goes into his closet and he likes angrily like pulling stuff out. And he's like dressed in military green shirt with dog tags and got close cropped hair. So he's military and he's getting his uniform. And then she's watching him and he just like glares at her. And so she like backs away and goes to find out what's going on with their kid because their kid's still crying so later she's at the table with her toddler and trying to get the toddler to eat some cereal when jack comes down the stairs and she tenses as she hears him and he sits down at the table and he pours himself a bowl of cereal and she asks if he's had those dreams again last night and he's like i didn't even sleep long enough to dream and she's like well i want you to go to the doctor and find out what's wrong and he just like blows up boom he starts yelling at her that he wants to eat his breakfast in peace is that too much to ask so she like you know recoils and then she starts crying and then of course the toddler starts crying too because the mom is crying and so he's eating his cereal angrily and then he puts a big spoon in his mouth and chomping and then he looks down the bowl and the bowl is just full of like grub worms or maggots or something right and so he's like he spits the stuff out he knocks the bowl off the table and almost flips the table over not really but like he jumps up and runs out the door and she's like calling after him asking what's wrong and he gets in his car and like peels out drives away and he's driving 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 angry driving and then he looks in his rearview mirror and he sees what looks like like basically like all the skin like on his face is just like being torn away like exposed muscle and bone and like big eyeball and all that kind of stuff and he's like uh and then he like starts panicking and starts trying to like tear the mirror down he's hitting it and he rips it down and then right after he does that he like realizes he's heading straight for a tree and he like 
boom, just impacts a tree. And then the car sits crumpled against the tree. And then the camera pans around and we see on the back side of the tree, there's this white symbol painted on the tree. It's like a circle that's like split in four pieces and there's like double X's in both parts. And there's like arrows going in the four directions on it. But yeah. And then we get the same song. So. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so he seems like a really nice guy. Yeah. It seems like there might be some DV going on in that household. I don't know. but Yeah. I mean, he doesn't. I mean, the way she like tenses when he comes mm-hmm. down the stairs is very like, you know, oh, God, like I, I have to be, you know, it's just really like, I don't know, I felt for her a lot. Yeah. So anyway, the actress who plays Robin McAlpin probably looks familiar. Her name is Katya Gardner, and she played Peggy O'Dell in the X-Files pilot. Yep. Y'all remember Peggy. She was Billy's girlfriend. She was in the hospital with him. She was in a wheelchair. She probably had an alien probe in her head, and then she got hit by a truck and she died. Yep. That was yep. Peggy. So same that was actress. Peggy. Yep. So if she looks familiar, that's why. <laughs> and then we're on County Road 10 in Folkestone, North Carolina. And Mulder and Scully are driving down the road and Scully has a file in her lap and it shows a photo of Private Jack McAlpin. And Mulder tells her that he wrapped his car around a tree and died on impact. And looking at the file, Scully says his blood and alcohol test came back negative. And the car apparently shows no evidence of mechanical failure. So the military is just calling it a suicide because it doesn't seem to be any other factors that would have played into the accident. And it's also the second suicide among Marines in two weeks. Both men were from the same base, only Mulder clarifies it's not really a base. They were stationed at Folkestone INS Processing Center, where refugees waiting for asylum are being held. And there was a riot a month ago, and a 10-year-old boy was killed. But the details of the boy's death have not been released. And Scully's like, well, why would the military call us? But apparently they didn't. Miss McAlpin called them because the military is refusing to investigate her husband's death and she doesn't believe it was a suicide. Yeah, this is kind of sounding a little bit like Deep Throat so far. And it is written by Howard Gordon, whose last script was a rehash of ice. So, like, just don't do it, Howard. Don't do it. Like, don't. Yeah, I didn't even make that connection. I kind of get it just because it's like a military spouse who's not getting the military to actually look in but in that case like they had actually taken her husband or something like i don't know he was well hmm, we don't know we don't know anyway but yeah yeah. i hadn't made i can see that i hadn't made that connection but i can see the similarities and then ins for those of you who may be younger listening it's not the independent news service no it's the u.s immigration and naturalization service was founded in 1933, but in 2003, pieces of it were split across three newly created agencies that also merged other agencies as well. And they are the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, which is the USCIS, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, and the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, CPB, all under the Department of Homeland Security. DHS. I'm not sure why CIS keeps the U.S. when the others don't, but whatever. And then, just side note, like CPB is actually currently the largest law enforcement agency in the United States, even though the FBI is still considered the principal law enforcement agency of the United States. So that's kind yeah. of weird. Boo ICE. Abolish ICE. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I honestly don't know why ICE and CPB are 
considered different. I think the big difference is like CPB is technically not supposed to leave the border, although they were in Portland recently. So this summer helping federal agents. So I don't know what the difference is, but yeah, definitely blue eyes. So anyway, so Mulder and Scully arrive at the tree where Jack crashed his car and they get out to look at it. And Mulder says that state police reported graffiti on the bark and Scully notes that it actually looks like some kind of ritual symbol. And again, I kind of described it in the opening, but it's like a circle. It's got a cross that divides it into four. There's double X's in the spaces, like the, the pie pieces of the circle. And there's arrows jetting out in the four directions. And Mulder says that most of the refugees at Folkestone are actually Haitian. So Scully asks if Robin McAlpern thinks that voodoo caused her husband's death. Sounds like something Mulder would say, actually. But Mulder says that she only believes he didn't kill himself and she wants to know who did. Right. So Mulder and Scully sit with Robin McAlpin at her table and her toddler's playing on the floor. And she tells them that Jack used to tell really dumb jokes, but the way he told them always made her laugh. But then once he got transferred to the camp, which is what they call the INS processing center, she says nothing was very funny anymore. And Scully asks if he ever spoke about what happened at work. And Robin's like, no, he just came home angry and mostly at himself. But sometimes he turned it on her and Luke. And Scully asks if he was ever treated for depression or stress. But Robin says he wouldn't talk to anyone. He believed in dealing with his own problems. And Mulder's like, well, did he believe in voodoo? And Robin says he only believed in the Marines, his family and football. So then Mulder asked when she began to suspect his death was caused by something out of the ordinary. And Robin says one of the boys in the squad, Henry Dunham, told her that they found a symbol at the scene of the accident that suggested some kind of voodoo curse. The same symbol was found on the stool that the other Marine used to hang himself. And Dunham is from New Orleans, so apparently he knows a lot about voodoo or has some kind of familiarity with it. And she didn't really give that much thought, but then her kid, Luke, dug this conch shell out of his sandbox. And she shows them the conch shell and it has the same symbol painted on it in red. And so she's scared for her and her child. Yeah, that is a big ass shell to just be like buried in your toddler's sandbox. Like I wanna see his sandbox and I probably want his sandbox if that shell was just like buried in there. Cause it is a big right. shell. It's also like really super clean and undamaged for a toddler to have dug up. But anyway, it looks like something you would buy like a, like a, like a touristy gift shop because like the shell yeah. is really big and then the symbol is actually painted on the inside on the smooth shiny stuff and so it looks like something you would just like sit on your coffee table and like yeah i went to the museum of voodoo or whatever but yeah know. i'm guessing it probably wasn't in the sandbox very long it was probably in there and then so it yeah, and, like it was and also she may around. have washed it off right because it gets the yeah off it. but still <laughs> it just looks really like super clean and super like not broken for like a kid to be like duh, 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 digging up a big shell but anyway, so we are at Folkestone INS Processing Center and Mulder and Scully pull up to the processing center and they leave their car. So it's like a big, like fenced in area, right? With razor wire on top and all this kind of stuff. And they're walked through the big chain link gate, big rolling gate by a Marine with a gun. And the yard is totally crowded with people and they pass through just like the sea of people like wrapped in blankets and all kinds of stuff. And then we also see like there's a Marine with like a rifle positioned above the yard. So it looks pretty much like a prison yard, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's armed guards and these people are just all like in the central area, you know, huddled with like little army surplus blankets and what have you. They go inside like a, a kind of an interior area and they, there's tables full of people like eating. 
and they are directed to a block of like kind of like cubicles but they're made they're like set up by like canvas sheets and like two by fours kind of thing that they're using like as offices for the center i guess and so they head in to find the person they're looking for and as they go like this refugee man grabs scully and just starts speaking frantically like in creole french right so he's talking to her and suddenly this kid who will find out his name is Chester. He like fights off the dude and tells him to go away. And the kid's like, he crazy. He got too much rum. So also speaking a little bit of that kind of like pigeon English, but not too, not gross, gross, but anyway. And so Chester tells Scully that she's too pretty of a lady to be there. And so he offers her something for protection. He's got like this little, like little tight, little sachet of like rags, basically, you know, wrapped up maybe it has like some herbs or senses yeah like in there like kind of and he's like word. he's like your lucky charm and scully's like uh no i don't need that because i'm a scientist i don't believe in that stuff kid but Mulder's like how much kid and he's like five no ten and Mulder's like i'll give you five and he's like Ugh. all right so he takes the five dollars he's like God. and then he like runs off so yeah the place is full of armed soldiers as we mentioned but like that kid is the only one who like intervenes when like some guy like a cost of visiting federal agent, like no one else like shows up. That's weird. I'm also gonna say it right now. No, I know don't, later don't, 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 don't. You don't want me to say it right now? <laughs> no, okay, I'm no. not gonna say it right now. Okay, I won't we say can it. We'll talk about it later. Okay, all right. But yeah, I saw it. So, and they have rum in the camp. I don't know about that. Maybe he's just like damaged from like previous rum, but I doubt they have rum in the camp. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how this <laughs> things work. They're probably not alive, but who knows? Like, I'm sure they would confiscate it if they had it and drink it. Probably. For yeah. Which is, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's a bummer to be there and they can't even have rum. Ugh, worst. Yeah. yeah. So they enter the administration office and Colonel Wharton says that he's not sure what the FBI is doing there. And Mulder reminds him of the deaths of the two Marines. And Wharton says that he's taken measures to ensure that it doesn't happen again. But he says, in some ways, this facility is worse than combat. They're Marines, not prison guards. So they're being told to police a giant population of hostile foreigners without the resources to feed or house them. And so there's bound to be conflict. And Scully's yeah. like, so your men are getting the brunt of the refugees' frustrations? And Wharton says it's hatred, pure and simple. And that all he can do is move the processing along as fast as possible. So Mulder asks about the symbol found at the site of both deaths. And Wharton says apparently it's some sort of voodoo marking. He says voodoo caused a riot in his camp. Someone had done a secret ritual one night, and the next day a riot broke out, and a 10-year-old boy was killed. And no one felt that tragedy more deeply than Colonel Wharton did. But he says he was able to isolate the person responsible. His name is Pierre Beauvais. And Mulder asked to speak with him, and Scully asked if she can examine McAlpern's body. And that she has consent from the widow. So Wharton's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And he says that Private Dunham will help them with whatever they need. So Private Dunham nods, and he opens the door, and they all go out. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'd be hostile, too, if I came looking for asylum and was shoved into what amounts to a prison and treated like a prisoner while waiting for a bureaucracy to get off its butt and, like, figure out what to do. And, you know, doesn't seem like these are great conditions. I mean, I don't think the people are actually hostile, but, like... I, you know, I wouldn't blame them if they were. So, and I'm kind of betting that the boy who died, like his family and his parents probably felt worse than Wharton. So, I mean, maybe. Just a little bit. I mean, you know, white man's burden. So. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit like icky. Yeah. 
So then we're at the temporary camp morgue. And Scully enters with the camp doctor who tells her that McAlpin was doing 60 when he hit the tree. So the cause of death was no mystery at all. And at the scene, his neck was broken. He had no pulse or vitals. Basically, the doctor saw no reason to conduct an autopsy and he still doesn't. Then he goes over to like where the bodies are stored and he opens the drawer where McAlpin's body is and he pulls out the slab and there's a dead decaying dog. And he's like, what kind of sick joke is this? And so then he like goes off yelling at his assistant, trying to figure out who else has been there. And Scully just kind of looks at the dog and she looks pretty ill actually, which the dog is pretty decayed. I don't blame her. I would look pretty ill too. And I was super excited because since the dog is all like emaciated and kind of decayed, like its lips were all pulled back. So it's all like teeth and just like ribs and And I was like, werewolf yes we're gonna get some werewolves and i'm like if you can pull this off howard gordon i take back everything i've ever said about you <laughs> like you're like oh you thought we were gonna do zombies nope sucker we're doing werewolves boom like if you can do it do it do it do it do it so i am yeah. super excited about I it did being not, werewolves now i did not think dead dog werewolf but i did because all gray and everything looks like a werewolf honestly looks like a dead werewolf so I've, ne- I've never seen a dead werewolf. Well, now you have. Right there. <laughs> so, yeah. So the camp doctor is apparently credited as Lieutenant Foyle. And the actor, Peter Klamis, C-E-L-A-M-I-S. He was also in Lazarus. Funny enough, he played a character named Odell. Like, you know. Oh, right. Place. He was the guy who, you know, like was the sound dude who isolated the plane sound and the recording that Mulder had. So okay. he was also the voice of Rolf in Ed, Ed, and Eddie. And he was the voice of Goku in the Canadian version of Dragon Ball Z. I didn't know there was a separate Canadian version of Dragon Ball Z, but okay. Fine. And But he has like a bazillion credits. And he's actually going to be in two more episodes after this one. So, so he's funny. like in four episodes altogether. Yeah, this episode is full of people who've already been on the X-Files in some way, so it's pretty yeah, funny. It we'll is, keep going, yeah. but yeah, there's there's a lot of that going on here. <laughs> yeah. So we're in the processing center brig. So the prison section of the processing center. And Mulder follows Private Dunham, and he says that Jack's wife said that he was friends with Jack, and Dunham is like, yep, they were in the same squad. And Mulder asks if he has any idea why McAlpern killed himself. And he's like, I can't say, sir. And Mulder kind of pushes him, but he, like, doesn't say anything. And then they get to Beauvais' cell, and he opens it and lets him in. and be like, I'm right here if you need anything, sir. So Mulder introduces himself to Beauvais, and he says he's hoping Beauvais can answer some questions for him about the two recent Marine deaths. And Beauvais says it was a terrible shame. And Beauvais asks Mulder if he thinks that he was involved, meaning Beauvais. And he's like, how could he be? He's been being kept locked in this cell. And Mulder shows him photos of the symbol and says that it was found at the site of both deaths. And he asks Beauvais about it. And Beauvais finally tells him that it's a symbol that represents the crossroads between two worlds. It's a mirror in which a man must confront his true self. So Mulder tells him that Wharton says Beauvais incited the riot last month. And Beauvais says that this country was born on the backs of slaves and that freedom is his legacy. Mulder asks if he'd kill for that. And Beauvais says that Wharton won't let them return home, which is all that they ask. So they're basically they're being held in this camp and like they're like, you know what? Change my mind. Kind of sucks here. Can I go back home? And they're like, nope, can't go home. You're stuck here. So, yeah, which is 
really crappy. It's like you yeah. can't win because now you can't get into the U.S. You're not allowed to go home. You're just stuck in this like prison like camp. Like, of course, people are going to be. Well, you're not allowed to go home of your own accord. I'm sure they'd probably be happy to send you back to your home, but you're not allowed to just leave and go back. So. You know, yeah, you don't have a choice, basically. Yeah. If they decide to send you back, they will. But so Scully arrives and she tells Mulder she needs to speak with him. And Bovey says that Scully is there to tell him that the Marine's body is gone. And Scully's surprised. She's like, how did you know that? And Bovey says experience. And Scully reports that the body was actually replaced with the corpse of a dog. And Bovey says that's a warning from the Loa. And they'll only warn you once. After that, no magic can save you. Yeah. I want to get back to the no magic can save you part later. We'll put a yeah. pin in that part. But yeah, so it's, it's Loa. It's either spelled L-O-A or L-W-A. And those are the spirits of Haitian voodoo or Louisiana voodoo. The term used to actually be considered derived from the French loi, which is spelt like Lois, L-O-I-S. And anyone who has watched Kolchak the Night Stalker, the zombie from 1974, the second episode, might remember it because he actually, of course, mispronounces it as Lois and he calls her like Mama Lois instead of Mama Loa. But it's actually considered to have come from the Yoruba language in West Africa, particularly southwestern Nigeria. Nice. So, yeah. And voodoo is kind of the more correct term for what we technically call voodoo. But, yeah, you know. this is this is Hollywood voodoo. So it's yeah, well, this is also 1990s, and a lot of research <laughs> has been done since then. So you know, in like the same like you know gains from like 1974 to 1995, and then from 1995 to 2021, like we're always, and also we're trying to be you know less like white about all the stuff that we're researching. So we're trying to actually, you know, making changes for the good, yeah. hopefully. So as they drive down the road away from the camp, Mulder asks Scully what she thinks happened. And she kind of looks at the little protection ward. Mulder's holding the little protection ward. Scully's driving, which is interesting because usually she doesn't get to drive. And she says that Beauvais must have switched the body somehow. And Mulder's like, well, he's been locked up. I'm not sure how he'd do that. And she's like, well, he must have had someone else do it. And Mulder again points out, like, security seems pretty tight at this camp. All the soldiers are walking around with guns all the time. Doesn't seem like something he could probably do. But he does allude to like maybe mysterious forces. And Scully was like, well, I'm only suggesting whoever did it was clever enough and thorough, not that it was the work of some kind of spirit or magic. And Mulder says he likes to cover his bases and he hangs the sachet from the mirror and he kind of like hits it playfully. And she says voodoo only works by instilling fear. And so Scully says she believes in the power of suggestion and she grabs a little bundle of rags and kind of looks at Mulder and she's like, but this has no more magic than a pair of fuzzy dice. And suddenly Mulder like sees someone in the road and he shouts at her. He's like, look out. And she stops the car before hitting the man. And there's just this dude like walking slowly in the middle of the road and they get out and they see it's Jack McAlpin and he has wounds on his head and he looks really disoriented. And then it's commercial. And I'm like, man, it's not going to be werewolves. Is it? I mean, I guess he could have just like transferred back from being a werewolf, but yeah, I don't think there are any werewolves in this. Werewolves. No, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't even suspect it. So I'm not disappointed, excited. but that was a really, I'm assuming that was not a real dead dog they used. It was really good though. It was really, really good. Yeah. It was a good prop. It was yeah. gross. Yeah. But it was well done. Yeah. So we are in the psychiatric infirmary and we're going to assume that we're at, you know, the camp 
and Mulder and Scully are watching Jack McAlpern through the window of his cell. And he is curled up in a ball, rocking on a bunk. And there's a guard in there as well. And Scully says he's nonverbal and unresponsive. She also says the doctors think that he had a concussion in the accident that caused amnesia. And Mulder is obviously more curious about like, how did he come back to life? The dude was supposedly dead. So Scully thinks the doctor made a huge mistake when he's on the death certificate. And Mulder asks about the blood work. And so Scully says that most things are normal, except the lab detected trace amounts of a tetrodotoxin in his blood. It's a poison found in puffer fish, Scully says. And Mulder's like, I doubt he has been frequenting sushi bars. So probably not. No, the little non-responsive rocking thing also is like deep throat. And I'm like, no, but I, do, I, think, <laughs> I think we're going to be different enough. But still, let's not do that. Yeah. So. Although, I don't know, like, I think writers do tend to, they have things that they go back to, and they probably don't even realize it, because, like, if you read The it, thing is, he didn't write Deep Throat. Chris Carter did. Oh, so did he? I'm kind of okay. like, I'm like, Howard, don't steal someone else's script again, please. Can oh, we, I see what you're saying. Can we do something okay. original? So that's why I'm worried about the whole, I mean, yeah, I don't want them just rehashing episodes, but I also don't want, like, Howard Gordon to be like, I'm just going to rip off people, because I can't come up with ideas on my own. I need hey, a partner. If you can make a career so. in TV on it, then hey, power to you. Yeah, but then 27 years later, I'm going to, like call you out on it so there you go don't do it <laughs> so Mulder asks Scully what she knows about zombies so he tells her that in 1982 a Harvard ethnobotanist did extensive research into zombification in Haiti he tested several samples of zombie powder prepared by various voodoo priests and all of them contained tetrodotoxin and Scully says it's a deadly poison but Mulder's like but in low levels like most poisons it can actually cause paralysis and repress the pulse so that a victim might appear clinically dead and so then Scully's like yeah well whatever um McAlpern's alive now and so Mulder's like yeah so I wonder about the other marine who supposedly killed himself Ooh, yeah yeah so anyway whether Dr. Science believes zombies are real or not Edmund Wade Davis is real and he is the author of Serpent and the Rainbow 1985 among their books papers and the like the movie Serpent and the Rainbow is obviously based on his book you know, fictionalized a little bit or a lot of it. But he was born in West Vancouver, British Columbia in nice. 1953. And he's currently a professor and the leadership chair in cultures and ecosystem risk at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, British Columbia. Imagine cool. that. So, yep. Science and coincidence all in one. Yeah, I do think it's funny, though, that when like Mulder like throws science back at her, she's like, well, yeah, whatever. But anyway, it's like, um, it's kind of like come on. Well, I mean, I think, you know, it, well, she's always appear. so adamant about science. And then when someone else throws science at her, she's like, well, yeah, but whatever. Let's talk about this instead. So. Well, she just means like either way, he's alive. So he's not like yeah. he was never actually doesn't. I got to get my digs in at Scully somewhere. OK, we have a quota Aww. here. People need a drink. OK, we, we don't we don't need the digs at Scully. People are, people are wanting to get we can drunk. Be, we can be very podcast. pro Scully. It's fine. So. <laughs> Every time I do that, you're supposed to take a drink. And so you're oh, ripped see. by the end. I see. It's a drinking game. It's a drinking game. Yeah, that and, when, and anytime I say anyway, if I say anyway, then you have to take a drink too. And you're going to be messed up. Trust me. Oh. So Okay. So drink responsibly. <laughs> do not do not follow those instructions if you want and don't to. listen to the podcast in the car while you're driving. And Oh, yeah. And definitely game. don't do that. Or yeah. at work. Well, I mean, work's fine. You're working from home probably. It's no big deal. <laughs> So at Folkestone Municipal Cemetery, Mulder and Scully arrive at the cemetery and Scully's asking why they'd bury the Marine here at a local cemetery instead of like where his family lives in Puerto Rico. Because that's normally what happens is the body gets sent back to the family. And then a black dog appears and growls at them. 
and it starts barking and a man comes up behind the dog and then he calls out to Mulder and Scully and he's like, he beat you to it. You're with the FBI, aren't you? And Mulder's like, yeah. And so he flashes his badge and he says that they're here because they've arranged to exhume the body of Manuel Gutierrez. Yeah. And Howard Gordon is just messing with me. First, he's like werewolf. Nope. And now he's like black shuck. Nope. Because like a big black dog in the graveyard, but it turns out it's just like the caretaker's dog. Yeah, it's just the caretaker's dog. Oh man, oh, the dog's name is Wong, though. That's funny. That's yeah. funny. So Morgan and Wong haven't totally left. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I mean, they in have. One of, but in one of the books I read, someone said that the dog was derisively named Wong, like it was a dig at Wong, and I'm like, dude, I, don't, I wouldn't take that as a dig. I'd be like, cool, you named the dog after me. Sweet. I know. Me but, too. I'd take that as an honor. Yeah, but... we named the dog Wong. So. So anyway, the caretaker says he prepped the dig when he got the judge's order, but it's too late. And Mulder and Scully are like, what? And the caretaker tells him that body snatchers got there first. He's actually caught body snatchers in the act a few times, but he can't keep up anymore. And then he even like pulls out a gun and he shows them a gun that he got because he wants to scare off body snatchers. And Scully asks why local police don't intervene. And the caretaker says they basically have their hands full with the living. And so he's basically all the deceased in the cemetery have for protection. And Mulder's like, well, what do they do with the bodies? And the caretaker's like, sell them. The local medical school was once short on cadavers. And so there was a rumor they were paying $200 a head. But mostly it's the voodoo types who are buying. And then he walks them over to Gutierrez's coffin, which is like sitting above the dirt and it's broken apart. And the grave is full of muddy water. Yeah. They are very casual about the dude just like showing them a gun yeah i mean they're pretty used to it probably and he's not usually you know officers of the law aren't cool with people just like randomly like flashing guns but he probably got a permit (laughs) he's trying to protect the bodies come on what's he gonna do walk around with a vampire steak i mean that would be cooler but just someone whipped out a gun and you're like law enforcement (laughs) officers usually that's not something that's like oh cool all right so tell me about the grave robbery (laughs) So apparently like it was super rainy this week when they filmed. And so they had like sub pumps going and the crew was like hand bailing water to try and dig out the graves. And then in this scene in particular, the water levels kept rising because like as they were shooting, like it would rain. And so like the water would get higher, which made continuity pretty impossible for them. Not sure why they had to show the inside of the grave though. Yeah. Or really, I I guess just to show it's empty because they dug it out. Well, the coffin was up there and it was all smashed. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Proves the point. And the caretaker is played by Callum Keith Rennie, who played Tommy, who's Lula's brother in the episode Lazarus. Oh, Lazarus again. Yeah. And he will also appear in the movie The X-Files, I Want to Believe. So he will be back. He actually is in, I looked him up after I saw your note and like this, like that'll be his last X-Files, but he's actually in a lot of other stuff. He's actually kind of like become like an actual like actor kind of guy and been in stuff so nice good for him so Mulder bends down to look at the grave and while he's doing that scully sees someone digging up another grave across from them and so the caretaker like whips out his gun and Mulder's like whoa whoa hey we'll take care of that so they finally are like hey put your gun away dude (laughs) and they run over and they find it's chester who's digging in the dirt and so he tries to run away and he's got this sack with him like a little like burlap sack but Mulder grabs him and then the sack drops and frogs jump out so yeah so yeah digging for frogs i guess 
And this is the second episode in a row with frogs and toads. Like their frog toad budget is nuts this season. Yeah, I think these frogs fared better than the previous ones because we didn't mention it when we talked about that episode. But so I think some of those frogs were dead um, or died when they like dropped because some of them, or at least were totally stunned because like when Mulder and Skull here are walking away in that scene, some of them are just like laying on their back, just like not moving. So they probably got stunned, like bouncing off the umbrellas or something. I hope they just got stunned and didn't die. Yeah. Yeah. So at a diner, Chester is eating French fries and he tells them that for fresh bones, meaning bodies, right? The pay is good, but he actually goes to the cemetery for frogs. And Scully asks how he gets out of the camp. And he's like, I come and I go. And Scully asks him if his parents are at the camp and he shakes his head. No. So Mulder asks his name. And then this is where we find out that his name is Chester Bonaparte. So for each frog he catches, Beauvais gives him 50 cents. And Beauvais has the most magic, Chester says. Chester taps his fry container because it's empty. He's like, look, you even made these fries disappear. And so Mulder says, I have strong magic too. I can make the fries reappear. And so he hands him some money. And so Chester runs off to go buy some more fries. And Scully tells Mulder that this species of frog has a toxin similar to tetrotoxin. And she wants to ask Beauvais what he's doing with the frogs. Right. So. I do want to, like, he says the pay is good for fresh bones, but, like, I was doing some reading about, like, grave digging, stuff like that, and, like, 200 bucks a body actually is really cheap because, like, at this time, like, on the black market, people were playing, like, more than that just for, like, body parts than, like, whole bodies. But Yeah. Well, it's not honest good work, so. <laughs> yeah, maybe the market's depressed in North Carolina. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. So the actor who plays Chester, Jamil Walker-Smith, was born in 1982. So he's the same age as me, which I thought was really interesting because, like, he's filming the show at the same age that I was watching it. And he does look young for his age. Like, he was probably 12, 13 when this was filmed. And he's playing a 10-year-old or a younger. He's playing a younger kid. But, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. It was one of those things where I was like, whoa. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you never feel like you're that young or that small. And then you see pictures. You're like, whoa, I was really young. Anyway. He also appears in the pilot episode of Supernatural in 2005. And he's in an Supernatural again. Yeah. He's in an episode of Bones, which I really like that show. And then he became a series regular on Stargate Universe. And he apparently also wrote and directed a film called The American Dream, for which he won the New Vision Award and then later won Best Director at the Urban World Film Festival. So he's had a pretty good career. I don't know timeline. So Stargate Universe, was he an adult by then? I think so. Yeah, he was a lot older. Even in 2005, obviously, like you know, 10 years older. So he was probably yeah, he'd been like 23 and, or something. Yeah. So yeah. He'd been in his early 20s. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of because like the same thing kind of happened. I think we talked about this when we watched pilot, like all the kids who are dying, they're like the class of 89. And like, I was the class of 88. And so like, they're also like in the same like age group when I was watching X files. So. Right. Kind of interesting. Just one of those things where you're like, oh, oh, funny. Yeah, he did look super familiar to me. And so I was looking up his credit listings. I saw what you wrote and I was like, okay, usually like you tend to know certain things and I tend to know other things and like our Mm -hmm. overlap. Like I'm like, oh, but they're also famous for this. And you're like, I've never heard of that. And then the things you say, I'm like, I've never heard of that. So I was looking up to see what else his credits were. And like the only thing that even gave me any kind of recognition was that he was in Hey Arnold, but that was voice work. He was like one of the main characters. But I also remember at that time, Nickelodeon was doing a lot of promo stuff and specials about how Hey Arnold was actually voiced by kids. 
And so that is probably actually why I do recognize them because of Hey Arnold. So, okay. Yeah. And yeah, I was 26 year old dude watching Nickelodeon. So what? And I actually cried during Arnold's Christmas too. Big deal. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Nothing. I have feelings. That's fine. So feeling is good. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Yeah, I do. Like he's eating fries and he's drinking milk. He's got like a milk mustache. And I'm like, what? What are you doing in North Carolina? So I'm just going to believe that it's a milkshake. Like it's a very melty, milky milkshake because I need to think that it's a milk. I can't. I can't. Like fries and milk, I can't do. He, he's really? They no. used to sell milk at McDonald's as like part you could get it as part of your Happy Meal instead of soda. That's fine. But that's I mean, it's pretty gross. normal. I don't know. When I was a kid, like, obviously we would always get soda because we would just, my mom didn't want to bother fighting with us. Like, just, we're going to get yeah. the Coke. But, um, you know, I could see parents being like, milk is healthier. You have to eat milk with your burger and fries. Yeah, I don't know. Which means that Mulder and Scully are like, you need to have milk with your fries. I'm like, no, <laughs> dude, that's a, like, yeah, bought the Eve girls soda. Come on. You even let them have non-diet soda. I mean, maybe like, he prefers Why does Chester get milk? Maybe he wants Because he's a little refugee boy. We got to give him milk. <laughs> Maybe that's what he asked for. I don't know. <laughs> some kids milk, please. Some kids really like milk. I was never one of those kids, but some kids like drink milk like crazy. So I don't I mean, know. I mean, I like milk too, but not with French fries. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, it might be a milkshake that's melted. Also, it's hard yeah. to say because <laughs> like the drink and the fries are in the exact same kind of container. They're just in cups. So yeah. Uh, so Mulder says that he didn't want to mention it. Because Chester's gone to get fries, right? And he's like, I didn't want to mention it until he was sure, but he thinks they had been being followed. There's a gray four-door sedan in the parking lot. So Scully kind of looks over her shoulder because, let's be obvious, and she sees the driver inside and he's watching them. And so Mulder's like, you know, stay here, keep an eye on Chester. So Mulder sneaks out the restaurant. Maybe there's a back door or something, side door. And he goes up to the car and he pulls the door open and he pulls the driver out and it's private Dunham. And he's just in his street clothes, right? And he says he wanted to warn them. And Mulder says he wasn't interested in helping them before, but Dunham says he couldn't talk with Wharton close by. So then Scully comes out with Chester and Chester's got his fries. And then Dunham is like pointing at him. He's like, and especially not with him right there. So um, Dunham has a Southern accent. So I may slip into that. I can't help it. Sometimes I just do. So Mulder's like, he's just a little boy. And Dunham's like, no, he is not. So- Chester's freaking out, Dunham. Yeah. So, and again, Weird. we cannot we cannot talk about things at the moment. I'm not allowed to talk about things. No, uh-uh. So, you have to wait. Okay. So Scully comes <laughs> up. <laughs> You're gonna wait. No. Um, although to be fair, yeah, we'll get to it. But this is where I was like, oh. <laughs> okay, um, this is this this scene is where you said something too, but we'll wait. Yeah. Okay, all right. So Scully comes up and she asks what's going on. And Dunham tells them that they put themselves in the middle of something they don't understand. Beauvais told the colonel he'd take his men one by one unless he let Beauvais and his people go back to Haiti. But Wharton just had the Marines turn up the heat on the beatings. And Scully's like, he sanctioned the beatings of refugees? And Dunham's like, he ordered it and he has them doing horrible things to those people. And Scully's like, well, why has no one reported anything? And Dunham says, well, you don't join the Marines to feel good. Nope, but you sure don't. No, I guess not. But also you don't join the Marines to beat on defenseless refugees either. I mean, some I would probably do. Yeah. So Beauvais said he'd take the men's souls. And Mulder asks if Dunham believes it. And then Dunham points to what happened to McAlpin. And Scully says there's actually a medical explanation for his condition. So it's not magic. 
And Dunham is like, okay, lady. Dunham's the Nick of this episode. He's like, whatever, Scully. And he tells them that back home, remember he's from New Orleans, a man named Jessamine crossed another man on some kind of real estate deal. And within two weeks, Jessamine's daughter fell ill with something the doctors couldn't figure out. And then she ended up dying five minutes past midnight on the morning of her wedding day. And when they did the autopsy, all they found was a bunch of snakes squirming around in her belly. And Scully's like, that sounds kind of like an old wives tale. And Dunham's like, no, it's not. I was the one who was supposed to marry her. And he gets in his car and drives away. And Scully asks Mulder if he thinks that he's telling the truth. And Mulder's like, well, I can't think of why he'd lie. And Scully says the superstition breeds fear and fear is what voodoo is all about. And Mulder's like, but why would he be scared of Chester? Yeah. I don't know why he'd be scared of Chester. He's just, just a, a little kid boy. who collects frogs and likes French fries mm-hmm. and five dollars. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't so, want money? Yeah. Team Chester. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely not a ghost. Anyway, <laughs> back at their car, the rear passenger door is open and there's like some fries spilled in the seat. Oh, it's a good thing it's a rental car because that would make me really upset. And Chester's gone. So Mulder calls out for him and they get in the car and then they're driving along and they see him. And so, like, when he sees their car, he, like, starts running. So Mulder jumps out of the car and runs after him. And the Scully, like, goes around the corner to try to, like, block him and pull him off. And then he's running, running, running. And then, like, obviously, Scully went around the corner. So he's coming. He's like, whoa. So he turns around and runs the other direction. Mulder's chasing after him. And we know Mulder's good at running. So Chester runs out on this, like, paved dock area. And he runs behind a bunch of crates like that. And Mulder runs after him. Boom. Comes around the crates. And Chester is gone. Like, it's just, like, end of pier water. Chester is nowhere to be seen. And he spins around. He can't see him. And then there's a black kitty sitting on a little pier thing. He's all meow, meow. Oh, he's so cute. I was like, kitty. Gorgeous. Oh my God. He's a gorgeous black cat. And he like he has the cutest little meow too. Mm -hmm. And they have him meowing. And I was like, kitty. And then there's also, you've probably seen this on like twitter or tumblr but there's a meme of like Mulder looking at the cat and Mulder's like excuse me are you a ufo <laughs> which i always thought was very you funny you told me about that when i haven't seen it but then i made my own about the black kitty bros so right because yeah. nick's cats are black so he has two black cats in there yeah. they're very adorable yes. and you can follow them on instagram mm-hmm. and twitter and Although twitter I tend to about twi- they tend to forget about twitter a lot yes when they post. yeah yeah. My cats do not have their own Instagram, but pretty much all I post on my Instagram are photos of my cats because I don't have anything else going on in my life. So it's just my cats. And also when we have a new episode of this podcast. So if you want to follow me, it'll be in the show notes. You can follow both of us. Yeah, I will, <laughs> I will add those in the show notes because I've never put them because we never really did our personal. We're going to add them in the show notes. We can today. add them in the show notes. Yeah. Well, especially so. the cats because your cats are really beautiful and Frankie is very fluffy and like this cat. So yeah, this cat is kind of a, a mix between Frank's and Sam because Sam is very short haired. Frank's is we think he's part Maine Coon, so he's just like whoosh. He's a fluffy. And this one boy. is kind of in between. Yeah, but gorgeous. Like I want. Yeah, this like, cat is. Why beautiful. do we not know who this cat is? And all this stuff. Like, why is this cat not in the credits? Why are there not like this cat is not mentioned in any X Files books? This is a missed opportunity for journalism, and I am upset. So, yeah. Anyway, I would like to know too. Who another drink? So, <laughs> a Marine, Private Kittle, brings Colonel Wharton his breakfast on a tray in his office. 
it's got like a little catering little plastic top thing going on and then someone knocks on the door and he tells him to get the door so like colonel warden's just going to eat his breakfast in the ring just have to like stand there and watch him apparently and so private kettle opens the door and it's Mulder and scully and they come in and he's like i'm having my he apologizes that he's having his breakfast but it almost sounds like he's saying like don't bother me i'm having my breakfast right they come in anyway and then he like so he nods to Kittle and tells him to leave and shut the door. And so Wharton just comes right in and is like, I know about the warrant that you've submitted to exhume Guterres's body. And Guterres's father has apparently filed a complaint. And Mulder tells him the body is missing and is stolen from his coffin. And Wharton is like, what kind of barbaric religion would desecrate a grave? And so Scully tells him they suspect it's an act of retaliation for his mistreatment of the detainees. And Wharton is like, what are you talking about? And so Scully tells them that what he's doing is a crime. And Wharton suspects where they're getting this garbage is coming from Beauvais. And so no one ever said this was a hotel, but it's hardly a concentration camp. And so she asks if there's a policy of harassment. And Wharton says that it's his men who are the ones being harassed. And Mulder and Scully look unimpressed. And then Mulder tells them they'll let him finish his breakfast before it gets cold. And they leave. So then Warren is like, mm, whatever. And so he sits down and starts cutting into his ham steak on his plate. And as he does, like it starts bleeding this bright red blood. He like jumps up and drops his utensils and steps back. And then just like blood just keeps like oozing out of the ham on his plate. Yeah. But they didn't cook it all the way, apparently. <laughs> Someone's going to get in trouble. It's a little more blood than should be in any kind. Of, it's a lot. It's a lot of blood. It's pretty gross, actually. So in the car... Mulder says that Wharton's giving these people no choice but to fight back with the only weapon that they have. And Scully says there's a big difference between nasty looks and raising the dead. And then Scully goes to turn the ignition in the key because, again, she's driving this episode. And there's, like, this branch around the steering wheel, and it's got barbs on it. And you can't really see it from her perspective because it's, like, behind the wheel. But, like, from the side, we can see it. And so when she goes to turn the key in the ignition, the barb, like, cuts her hand. And so then she sees the branch. She's like, what was that? And like looks over, pulls it off. And she like tosses it out the window. And she thinks it's more scare tactics. So she's like, whatever. And she starts the car and they drive away. And we see the white symbol from earlier was painted beneath their vehicle. Oh. Uh-oh. Oh, shit. Yeah, not good. Not good. Not good. So Beauvais is in a cell. And we see, boom, he's like hit in the face. And he falls to his cot and his face is all battered and bloody and private kittle is in his cell with him and private kittle's knuckles are kind of bloody and he says that he doesn't think he's in any condition to talk and then like he's telling someone else that and then we hear wharton's voice saying that's right you don't think just follow orders and so kittle starts to protest but then he's dismissed and so wharton comes in and he grabs beauvais and beauvais just looks messed up and he says, I want the secret. And he says something like in Creole French as well. And then he's like, he wants the secret. And Beauvais says something. And they kind of go back and forth between like Creole French and English. But basically, Beauvais refuses. And Wharton says, no, Papa Noah. And then he tells him that his life is in his hands. And then we see Mulder at the hotel. He's walking into his hotel room. He opens his door and something falls down. And we look on the ground. And it's a ten of diamonds laying on the ground, like a playing card. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know if it's intentional or not, because like when we see it, the card is laying sideways and it conveniently landed like, you know, face up. But the diamonds kind of form like a double X. I don't know if that was intentional or not. But I think so. I think that's part of what's I guess also I guess. the next scene 
the sign is a diamond too. Yeah. So County Road 10. So Mulder is parked on the side of the road and another car pulls up behind his vehicle. And then X gets into the passenger seat of Mulder's vehicle. And Mulder's like, I was surprised to get your card. He'd kind of assumed their last contact was going to be their last. And Mulder starts to tell him about Wharton and the human rights violations, but X cuts him off. And he tells Mulder that in 24 hours, Folkestone will be restricted, so military personnel only will be allowed to access it. And Mulder and Scully will be called back to D.C. on a priority matter, so they won't be there either. And Mulder asks why. And X says that the Statue of Liberty is on vacation. The new mandate says that if you're not a citizen, you better keep out. And Mulder's like, well, why keep these people detained then? Why not repatriate them? Send them back. And X tells them that during the last military maneuver in Haiti, three American soldiers took their own lives. Two of them were under Wharton's command. And Mulder's disgusted. And he's like, so what? They're sanctioning Wharton's revenge? He's allowed to, like, beat on these people and mistreat them because a couple soldiers died? And Congress might have a problem with this system. And X tells him by the time they get a committee together, it'll be as if none of this ever happened. Hmm. So I'm glad X is back. X is kind of cryptid and cynical. And I, I don't know. I like him a lot. I think he's he's just so raw and like angry <laughs> not angry but like he's just very like well i can't think of the word but he's just very like cryptic and like jaded i guess is maybe the word he's like well he mentioned even in one of the meetings they had i think it was actually in the last time we saw him which was one breath right which he actually does say like after they meet in one breath that he's not going to be able to meet for a while so i don't think they met he does breath. yeah but he also mentions that like he used to be molder Yes. And, and he's so, not willing to die for yeah. it. And so part of me is wondering, like, well, did he have a Scully and his Scully got killed? And that's why he's all. Maybe. I don't know. But I don't know. Maybe yeah. we'll get into that at some point. Who knows? Um, it does seem this does feel weird to me, though. Like, I'm not sure why X is in this episode. He's not really adding anything. It's kind of like when Deep Throat showed up in Eve, like just like. Hi, I'm in San Francisco, and let me give you this backstory. And <laughs> I'm just randomly later, here. Bye. Yeah, I'm just randomly um, like, in I just like, like, did they need the like the padding time for the episode like limit? I just, it's like it doesn't really I mean, like did you know did Stephen Williams need to be in so many episodes per his contract? And they're like, oh, stick him in here. I don't, I, yeah, I don't so T- entirely possible that like either it was a contract thing or they just like. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just wanted to use because I mean, in so Eve, like, okay. they used Deep Throat for like exposition, right, to explain the story. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that. Like, they could have had like Eve actually give that exposition when they went and saw her, right? He could have just got mm-hmm. like a little note and then said like, "Go here," and they would go there. And like Deep Throat yeah. wouldn't necessarily need to appear in the episode, but this one, like, he doesn't even really give any information that we really need. Well, and it's funny because he kind of does, but it doesn't really like it'll come up. We'll get that information later. Whereas yeah. it, it, it clicks in Mulder's brain, whereas here it doesn't really click in that way. So I don't know if it was just meant to kind of set up that foundation to or just kind of underscore kind of like yeah. how just terrible this whole refugee system is and how it's not fair and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Maybe that's all. I don't know. I don't know what to think. And I think was. and you're right, because he does give something here that is important. But like you said, we get that later. And so, again, I think that's why I'm thinking, like, he doesn't need to be here because we do get that later. Right. We do. So it is. We don't need him to do it. It's just kind of underscoring either what we already know, which is that 
<laughs> the immigrant the asylum system in America sucks and has always sucked and is not fair and yeah I don't know exactly yeah I mean not that it's a bad scene and like you said like you're glad to see him and it's like yeah cool it just yeah. it, it just feels weird like they just kind of like stuck him in here to stick him in here so, yeah they might have who knows like story-wise it doesn't really seem to be no like necessary but it's not like it's a bad scene like oh why did they do that it totally ruined the episode no it just basically is extra and it just kind of underscores stuff we'll learn later so maybe it's a little foreshadowing or something but yeah, yeah. it's not super informative yep so scully is at the motel and she is on the phone and she is on hold and she's like i've been stuck on hold for a long time i'm trying to rotate private dunham so she's obviously like at her motel and i guess calling like the base and trying to get a hold of private dunham and then she's like scratching at the wound on her hand and she notices that it looks kind of weird looks kind of infected I'm not sure why she hasn't cleaned it i mean she is a doctor but instead she's just like scratching at it and it's looking really gross and then she kind of looks at her reflection in the mirror for some reason again we might be doing some foreshadowing there's not really a reason for her to be like studying herself in the mirror but and the person on the other end of the phone gives us some information and then she hangs up so we don't know what they gave her but she gets information and she hangs up right. so then she goes to Mulder's room and she knocks on the door and he doesn't answer so she's kind of like talking to him through the door like assuming that he's in his room and she's saying like she just got through to Dunham's barracks and then she calls his name again and there's still no answer so then she tries the door and it's unlocked and so she walks in to be like hey your door is unlocked you know letting him know like hey i'm in your room don't be naked and gross <laughs> don't be watching like, porn like, like if you're, yeah if you're watching porn put it away I'm... please <laughs> in every sense of the word put it away so but the room is empty, but the bathroom door is shut. No, not a good sign. And water is running. She can hear water running. So she goes over the door and tells Mulder through the door that Dunham has been AWOL since the night before. And then, but as she's talking to him, she notices like there's water like coming from under the door and it's kind of like tinted with blood. So she like opens the door and in the bathtub full of bloody water is Private Dunham. Dead. And the faucet's still running, so she bends down to turn it off. And then as she's doing that, Jack McAlpern comes into the room, kind of like, I'm a zombie. But then, like, Mulder's right behind him with his gun drawn on him. And he tells Scully that he found McAlpern wandering around outside the hotel. And Scully shows him, like, Dunham's dead. And Mulder's like, hmm, well, when I found McAlpern, he had this. And he shows his hand, and it's a newspaper, and it's got a bloody knife in it. So I'm hoping he used the newspaper so he wasn't touching the bloody knife. So good job, Mulder. But yeah. yeah. Bloody knife. Probably killed McAlpern. Fun times at the motel. Zombie killers. Ooh. Raging in North Carolina. Yeah. And then it's commercial. Yeah. Somebody died. Or was dead for a long time in the bathtub, which is super yeah. gross. Super mm-hmm. gross. Well, I mean, well, not kid him in that long because, like, when was the last time Mulder was in his room? But yeah, know. like an hour ago. I don't know. Yeah. So, in an interrogation room, which, you know, it's like made out of chain link fences, we're at the brig of Folkestone, probably. Mm-hmm. Mulder asks McAlpin if he remembers leaving the hospital. And McAlpin says he doesn't remember much from the last three days, except feeling heavy, like he's half asleep and can't wake up. And Wharton is standing by watching this interrogation. And Mulder asks if McAlpin remembers killing Dunham. And 
He says, all I remember is being at the hotel and seeing his body in the tub. And Scully's like, well, if that's all you remember, why did you sign the confession? And he kind of looks up and then he looks away and he doesn't really answer. So Wharton kind of answers for him and he's like, well, I apprised McAlpin of what was found at the crime scene. And then McAlpin kind of is just like resigned. He's like, who else could it have been? And Mulder asks Wharton if they can have a word outside. So outside, Mulder demands to know what Wharton told McAlpin. And Wharton is irritated that Mulder is implying he might have coerced a confession. And Mulder needs to know that McAlpin signed the confession voluntarily. And Wharton's like, well, of course he did. And Mulder asks if McAlpin has had any contact with Beauvais since his reappearance. And Wharton says no. And Mulder's like, okay, well, I still want to speak to Beauvais. And Wharton tells him that's not possible. Beauvais is dead. He slit his wrist with part of a bedspring. And he'll have the report on his death, along with McAlpin's confession, sent along to the motel. And since both matters are now being handled internally, he assumes their business at Folkestone is finished. So he leaves. And as he leaves, Scully's like clutching her head and Mulder asks what's wrong. And she's like, it's just a headache. It's fine. And Mulder's phone rings and Scully's like rubbing her injured hand. And Mulder tells Miss McAlpin, who's on the phone, that they can be there in 15 minutes. Scully is really bad at self-care. Yeah, no, I mean, I... I deeply relate to her and she sucks at it. So I, I, this is like a warning to me, like be better at this stuff because man, Scully sucks at it. Yeah. But I mean, I'm the same way. I'm like, Oh, it's just a headache. I'm fine. Let's, we've got work to do. We got to push through it. It's not this big infected scratch on my hand. It (laughs) It might be tetanus or some disease, but it's fine. I'll just scratch at it. I won't like, I won't like clean it immediately when I get home or anything. Just, maybe she but, did. And it's just getting gross anyway. Cause of I'm gonna, magic. Yeah, she but just cause she's busy doing FBI stuff. She hasn't had time. So she's got to have like alcohol swabs or something. Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure if nothing else, she'd go to the front desk and get something or, you know, I'm sure there's a store somewhere <laughs> to go to UVS or Rite Aid or something in North Carolina. So I was going to say this earlier, and then I was like, no, I'm just like making connections because I have things in my head. But now I actually really do think they're kind of really playing up like the apocalypse now Kurtz imagery with Wharton whenever they can. They're kind of really doing that like yeah, crazy guy in control military dude. And then also like he's a big dude. He's bald, right? So they're kind of getting that Marlon Brando action going on. But yeah. So Robin McAlpern tells Mulder and Scully. So they're back at the McAlpern home. And she's telling them that, like, thinking she lost her husband was hard enough, but now she finds out that he's back, and they're saying that he murdered Harry Dunham. So Scully points out that he signed a confession, but Robin's like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, Jack and Harry were friends, and Mulder says that on the phone earlier, she had told him that Dunham had come by to see her last night. And so it's like, so what was that all about? Like, what was he, what was he, what was he there? And so apparently Dunham was on his way to go see Mulder last night, which is why he was near Mulder's hotel. And he had told Robin that if anything happened to him, she should give Mulder this. And so she has gone and pulled out like a sealed manila envelope from like a drawer under her television set, like her entertainment center. And so she hands it to Mulder and Dunham told her not to open it. Because Mulder's like, what's in it? She's like, I don't know. He told me not to open it. And then Luke is kind of fussing in the background. We hear him. He's apparently a troublemaking kid. And so Aww, she's like, here. He's a toddler. He's a toddler. Toddlers are, you know, <laughs> they kids fuss. Are, no kids. <laughs> no kids. And she hands him the envelope. And so she excuses herself to go take care of Luke because he's a troublemaker. And so Mulder opens it. 
and it's a photo of a group of people in Haiti, and it includes Beauvais and Wharton. They are together. And Scully says they must have known each other when Wharton was served in Haiti. So that photo is the worst compositing I've ever seen in my life. Like Beauvais looks like a cardboard cutout. Like they have a bunch of extras playing refugees. They couldn't have just gone and actually take a photo with the two actors in the episode with a bunch of people to make it look like a real photo. Like, I don't know why they had to make a composite photo. I don't uh, know. It does look really bad. It looks really bad. <laughs> it, does. it really does. So, yeah. yeah. It, I don't get like it. Wharton isn't as bad looking because he's way in the background and kind of small. Mm-hmm. But like Beauvais is like right up front and it just looks awful. <laughs> you can see the outline around him. Yeah. Really bad. So apparently the whole Haiti thing was in the news at the time. So maybe it's a photo from that. And so we're supposed to recognize it. I don't know. Yeah. So then we're at Colonel Wharton's office at night and Mulder and Scully walk in with a flashlight And Scully kind of turns on his desk lamp and they start to look around and they find reports of McAlpin and Gutierrez complaints against Wharton and they cite dates and times of abuse and it has chicken feet like stuck through the paper like there's like a chicken feet with like (laughs) its nails like stuck to the paper. They're, They're giant chicken feet too. They're huge and they're just like stuck through this paper and what i think is hilarious is that scully is reading off the paper and then like look and then there's chicken feet that like no man like the first thing i'd be like whoa why are there chicken feet stuck in this paper she's like she's like look at this report it says all this like and then like the chicken feet are an afterthought it's crazy to be fair it is kind of a smoking gun against wharton but (laughs) and then Mulder finds dog tags and he tells her to check out the names and before we can find out the names a gun barrel comes through the crack in the door and it's private Kittle. And he holds the gun on them and tells them to come with him and take the flashlight out of his eyes. Cause they're like shining it. And Mulder asks where Wharton is. And Kittle's like, you'll find out soon enough. And Mulder tells him that Wharton killed Bavay. And if he knows anything, he's going to be tried as an accessory to murder. And Kittle's like, shut up. You know, you don't know what you're talking about kind of thing. And Bavay got what he deserved after what he did to McAlpin and Gutierrez. He deserved every bit of it. And Scully tells him it wasn't Beauvais, it was Wharton. They were about to testify against him, so he stopped them before they could. And Mulder's like, if you don't believe us, you can look in the trunk. And so Private Kittle kind of edges over to the trunk, and inside you can see there's a skeleton. And Mulder holds out the dog tags and says that this is what's left of Private Gutierrez. And then Mulder asks where Beauvais' body is. And Kittle's like, we buried him this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And Kittle is the one who also was like beating the crap out of Beauvais right. in the cellar. Earlier. Apparently believing that so. he killed McAlpin yeah. and Gutierrez. Yeah. So Private Kittle is the only black Marine that we're going to see in this episode. I and mean, we'll talk about that a little bit later too. But he is actually played by Roger Cross. He actually goes by Roger R. Cross now, but he's credited as Roger Cross at the time. And he was actually in EBE. Mm -hmm. He played Officer Green, who was the one who was standing in front of the level six door when they only had level five badges and were trying to go by and then had to double back and then got in trouble and Mulder ran and then tripped. He's actually going to be in three more X-Files episodes. And then he's also in an episode of Millennium. Nice. So, yeah. So, again, we've got like, just it's like the recurring people (laughs) this episode. Yeah, it's people who have been on the X-Files before. Yeah, and are going to be later. Yeah. So, yeah. I do. Why would uh, Gutierrez's body be like a pile of bleached bones? I don't know that because he apparently didn't die too long ago. Yeah, I'm going to guess that 
Wharton had to do they had something to, to it to make them. Yeah, I don't. Maybe he's using the bones for something, and so he had to bleach them out. I don't know. It's yeah. I mean, it's like we need a dead body, but like if we show up like a hacked up body that would fit in the trunk, sensors are gonna not like that. So maybe that was it. Yeah. And they're like, oh, dead body, skeleton will work. It'll fit. So yeah, I don't know. So in the graveyard, there are a bunch of candles around Beauvais' grave. And Wharton is using a series of pulleys to like pull the coffin out of the ground. So, and he's wearing like burgundy robes and he's got like this fancy dagger and he holds it up and he's like talking about the moon and the stars in French, possibly French Creole, we don't know. And then he starts pouring like powder, possibly zombie powder, like around the coffin because now the coffin's out of the grave, right? And then Mulder and Scully pull up to the graveyard and Scully's just like, oh, my head. I mean, she's not talking, but she's like clutching her head. But she's like, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'll catch up with you. Um, go get Wharton. Yeah. Do it, dude. You should keep some Tylenol in your purse, Scully. Like every woman. <laughs> I mean, I know she's really young in this, but like every woman over a certain age, just keep some painkiller around. You never know. <laughs> I mean, don't take painkillers. They're bad. But yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they? I don't know. They're probably. They are not. if you get addicted to them. If you don't get addicted to them, I think they're probably great. A couple Advil but... aren't going to hurt you, and if you've got a headache, yeah, do it. And they, I mean, I am basically immune to that kind of stuff. I take it, and like within twenty four hours, pain pills stop working. I'm like immune to anesthesia. Oh, wow. I have weird. Yeah, I have really. I have some fun stories I could talk about, <laughs> but not right now. Okay. <laughs> so she's like, yo, hey, I'll catch up with you. I just need to clear my head and like go get him. So he gets out and she watches him walk away. And then she's rubbing at her hand and it looks like the whole, it's not just like the wound looks bad, but like her whole hand is like, like red stripes coming away from the wound in her palm. Cause like the meaty part of her like thumb palm part. That's got the little puncture in it. Mm-hmm. And then she like looks in the mirror and her lips look super parched. Like she needs some chapstick and she kind of opens her mouth. And then it's like just full of blood. And then like we cut back to her looking at her hand and like the wound on her hand, like this liquid starts pouring out and then fingers come through the wound in her hand and a whole arm comes out and grabs her by the throat and she's got blood coming out of her mouth and like the hand manifests as a dude and he's strangling her in the car and like reciting like french creole or something yeah i think it was it wasn't i don't think it was straight french but yeah it was yeah it may have just been gobbledygook too yeah it might have been nonsense so apparently the special effect was achieved by having the actor shove his gelatin covered fingers through this thin plastic prop hand that he could like burst through but it's it's pretty well done in that it's very gross yeah and they did a good job of cutting it because at some point it's going to look you're going to be able to tell Mm -hmm. it's not real right yeah they did a really good job of cutting it around like the hand and then like the real hand and then all that kind of stuff so yeah they get a job but like this is what happens when you don't clean your wounds scully (laughs) clean your wounds guys it's infected and someone comes out and strangles you yeah like that should be like you know everyone learns that in medical school (laughs) yeah public service announcement right now you know and no one is half the battle clean your wounds um i have to say though that part where like she's like tell Mulder to go and Mulder walks away and she's watching him walk away and then like there's a scene where because she's got her hand over her face and she turns and her finger kind of like runs down her eye that was creepy as hell oh my god that was a creepy shot Mm. so it was really good yeah 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 but seriously clean your wounds Scully. yeah come on you're a doctor you should know better 
So Mulder opens the cemetery gate and he approaches Wharton and Wharton has made the symbol from earlier around Beauvais' coffin. And Mulder announces himself. He's like, federal agent, drop your knife. And Wharton speaks in a strange, deep voice. And he says something about the house of night. And this is, I believe, in French still. And Mulder yells at him to drop the knife again. And he bends down kind of as if he's maybe going to drop the knife. But then he plunges it into something red. And he says, zombie. Is it like a cushion or something? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like this red thing that he just shoves the knife into. And Mulder immediately collapses in pain. And Beauvais appears behind Wharton and he says, Ici, which is I'm here in French. And Beauvais tells Wharton that he who does evil will see evil. And he blows zombie powder in Wharton's face and Wharton falls backwards. Yeah. And you mentioned like a strange deep voice. He's got like that demonic kind of like kind of voice. So, which in this one kind of works better than it did in three. Yeah. I'll say. So for this kind of thing. So, yeah, he goes from Kurt to Crowley pretty quick because now he's like, oh, like in his robes, he looks very like Alistair Crowley. So back in the car, Scully has been strangled by the dude who come out of her hand and he's chanting. And then she sees a little water protection that they got from Chester hanging from the rearview mirror. So she's reaching and she grabs it. And then as soon as she grabs it, whew, dude is gone. She's not being strangled no more. No more blood coming out of her mouth. And there's a little black kitty meowing on the hood of the car. Oh, kitty. So, yeah. Or It's a kitty. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's a really cute cat. So I prefer kitties 100% because kids are canceled. Pets are new kids and plants <laughs> are the new pets. Yes. So Scully's better now and she races through the cemetery and she finds Mulder lying on the grass. And he asks if she's okay. And she tells him that she feels better than he looks. And she asks what happened. And Mulder doesn't know. And so she sees Wharton lying next to the coffin and she turns him over and he's dead. But he's not because he's breathing. Yeah, very faintly. I don't think he's supposed to be. <laughs> I think that's an actor. And she asks Mulder, she's like, did you kill him? And Mulder shakes his head and he says it was Beauvais. And so Scully opens the coffin and we see Beauvais is lying there and he seems to be dead as well. Yeah. So I do, so we had touched before. So Beauvais had said that they only get one warning. And then after that warning, that no magic could save them. So the warning was the dog. But then we see that they get the symbol under their car. And so that would be like the second one. And so like, but then magic does save them because Chester's little thing saved them. And uh, he was, Beauvais was actually part of saving them too because he blows the dust that yeah. knocks out Wharton and kills them. So it's kind of weird that he says like nothing can save you. But then he actually is actually part of saving them. Him and Chester are all yeah. tag team. I wonder if that's because the dog was not actually a warning from the Loa. It was Wharton trying to cover his tracks. I don't know because he does like, because they're talking about the dog and then he's like, oh, you only get one warning. And then after that, he's like saying like, you need to just leave because you're not going right. to do anything. But I think, like, so, maybe he was thinking of it as a warning, but, like, I think it's just Wharton trying to scare them off. So it's not really from the Loa. It's from Wharton. Oh, uh, maybe. Okay. Okay. But, yeah, I think... I just thought, yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. It's like, nope, you can't be saved. And, yeah. So then we are back at Folkstone, Diana's Processing Center, and Private McAlpern hands Mulder and Scully a manifest of all the detainees. Apparently, some of them are petitioning to have Beauvais' body sent back to Haiti. And it sounds almost like they're he's giving them a manifest. So it sounds like they're sending everyone back. Yeah. 
because they're like loading people in the trucks and stuff. So it's like they're like shutting down the camp and everyone's going to go back to where they came from and it'll be great. And so Scully's looking at the list. And she's like, oh, someone is missing from this list. A kid, Chester Bonaparte. And the Marine says, yeah, that's so tragic. That's the kid who was killed six weeks ago in the riot. And Mulder and Scully are like, what? <laughs> okay, so I am super basic. <laughs> I'm super basic. And I did kind of suspect this at the diner because, like, you kind of get the impression, like, you know, he's afraid of Chester. And there's something weird going on. And then, you know, he runs away and then there's a cat there. So I did kind of get that impression. But I think I got caught up in the other stuff in this episode. And when they said this, I actually got goosebumps. Like, it actually, it worked on me. 100 percent like it totally worked i was like oh, oh my god <laughs> yeah. so yeah whereas i was banned from saying this earlier <laughs> but like when he first appears to save scully i was like oh he's the kid who died they mentioned the kid died he's the only kid he's the only kid we see in the he camp is, yeah there are no other like there's women and there's not a lot of women but there are women in the camp but there are no children it's all like men which is usually the breakdown for refugee camps it's usually a lot of young men um well depending on the type of refugee camp but especially when you're like doing like you know immigration kind of stuff usually it's a lot of young men and then there's a few women and there's some children but like there's no children anywhere he's like the only kid like you said he's not really a 10 year old kid he's more like a 12 or 13 year old kid honestly but whatever but i was like oh that's the kid that's the kid <laughs> so, and i was right so yeah in my notes i had joked that you're such an easy mark i am yeah, well totally you know and like, on me. the minute i got goosebumps i was like oh I am the most basic person in the world, but that totally worked. It got me. They got me. Good job, X-Files. You did it. I mean, got me <laughs> with the werewolf stuff. So, I mean, you know. Oh and then gosh. I'm like, kitty, kitty. Oh, my God, kitty. I know. Oh the kitty, kitty also kitty. is freaking adorable. So, so I don't even care. Because I'm yeah. like, yes, cat. Yeah. Because he's a ghost kitty, apparently. I know. The cat is Chester. He's a, so. Mm, so adorable. Anyway. Yeah. It does seem like, I guess they killed McAlpern of his zombiness though because I guess maybe he wasn't dead long enough to do any brain damage because I mean that's the thing with like when you hear about like the real zombie stuff like the ethnobiology stuff is like a lot of them when they come back as zombies they actually do have some brain damage due to like lack of oxygen when they're buried and so it actually causes some brain damage and so that actually adds to their ability to be manipulated and be zombies right um, but again but i guess he's fine and also like the military and the fbi like if you die and you come back they just put you right back to work man yep they don't care like willis is dead <laughs> comes back boom okay you got it you got to shoot your gun some to prove you can still shoot your gun but boom you're back on job scully missing for three months wakes up okay back to work <laughs> go maybe you can have one therapy appointment <laughs> but that's it and only on this one day when you're going to be out of town this dude <laughs> you like wrecked your car they thought your neck was broken and then you come back and like boom now you're in charge of like sending all these people back to haiti like oh okay dear. i did also find it um interesting because we've talked about this not in episodes but between you and i when we're doing notes is you apparently cannot tell vanilla white dudes apart i can't because <laughs> you did not because you did not know this was mccalvern you were like some, some guy, guy. Gave you a manifest this white dude i don't know it's funny too, and like, like you couldn't tell the interns apart in like excelsis day they looked <laughs> the same to me and like the crew cut man and the alien assassin guy who are gonna get to know. like to me same person like i'm convinced and like i just i don't know what it is because it's funny because i'm not like face blind i can usually tell people but for some reason bland white dudes it's like they're all the same i cannot figure like, out oh oh all, all white dudes look the same to me okay <laughs> apparently 
Is that Mulder? I don't know. Well, see, Mulder. Oh, it, must, I can, it must be Mulder. He's with Scully. I'm not face blind. I can see. It's just like, <laughs> it's certain people. Like, they all just look, I guess, because they, especially when they're dressed the same and they have kind of similar features. I'm just like, yeah, same person. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll I'll grant you the Excelsis date one because they almost had, like, one was a little bit chunkier than the other. I mean, it wasn't fat, but like, he was just a thicker dude than the other guy. The other guy was skinnier. The other guy had a little more meat on him. But they almost had, like, the exact same haircut. Right. They were both douchebags. So I could see that. But like, this one, I was like, Tori, that's the dude who's been in the episode. <laughs> sure, whatever. He even like still got a little bit like they were good because he still got like a little bit of like this. <laughs> this actually might be his real scars. Like I need to go back and look at the original again, but like he still got like some some messed up bits on his face. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> so then we see the caretaker is driving a small dump loader at the cemetery. And Wong, the dog, is whining, and he's kind of like at the grave, whining at it. And the caretaker's like, "Get out of the way!" And he's pouring dirt on the coffin, and we hear like a thumping sound, but it's like barely audible to us. And like you know, the guy on the tractor can't hear it because he's got tractor noise. And so then, like, the load of dirt is dumped on the wooden coffin, and then inside, we see Wharton is in there banging on the lid, trying to get out. End episode. Yeah, that's yep. the end. Which, like, yeah, I was like, whoa, like, this is how you do a human villain on the X Files. Like, I know Faster is not technically supposed to be human, but like, this is how you do it. It works. You can do it, X Files. You can. Yeah, apparently, this scene is also, I haven't seen the movie, but apparently, this is how the movie The Serpent and the Rainbow ends based on the book that Mulder was talking about earlier. So I think that was, I don't, I don't know. I haven't verified that, but I read that that's kind of, it has a similar scene. So they kind of were like homaging it. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, mm. but I haven't seen the movie. Yeah. So I have to say like, just overall, this episode got me and I don't just mean the Chester thing, which obviously did get me and I'm not embarrassed, not ashamed. They got me. Um, but I think what really got me about this episode is it was funny. Cause as I was watching it, I was getting really angry. I was like, Oh, like these poor refugees are going to be made out to be these villains using this dark magic when voodoo is, you know, like, I don't know a lot about voodoo, but I know this isn't voodoo. And then also, of course, they're going to target Scully, of course, even though she didn't do anything to the refugees and there's no reason why they should be targeting Mulder and Scully at all. It's so stupid. And I was getting so mad. And then. Well, but I mean, in the in the refugees case, right they are federal authorities. Right. So. Well, but still, I was just like, but it's, you know, I'm tired of like Scully being targeted by everybody. Like every villain that comes Fair. on the yeah. show is just like, let's target Scully. And like, they have no, Beauvais has no reason to target them. And then it's not them at all. It's the evil white dude who's like abusing mm -hmm. these people and running this camp. And he's the one targeting them because he doesn't want to be investigated. And it all clicked into place. And I was like, okay, good job. I'll, I'm in. I did. No, it is. They actually did. And I was going to say, I had had this later, but let's actually bring it up right now because it kind of comes up. This episode, we have talked about it before, but like this episode isn't one of those like the most embarrassing X Files episodes because of like the treatment of like, you know, like, you know, how like ethnic minorities treated or whatever, like just different, like gender bender was on there. I think that's where we brought it up first time with like gender yes. bender. I actually don't think this episode really actually belongs on that list because I don't really think that they treated the culture poorly because as you said it's not that the culture is doing that it's actually the white dude appropriating the culture and using all the tropes right right the evil dude so i actually don't think i think everything i think they treated everything pretty well in this episode honestly yeah i mean i could be wrong i'm not 
Nation, right? So I can't really maybe see some of that stuff because I'm a white dude. But I think it was actually pretty good. I don't think it actually belongs on that list, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I kind so. of agree. Like, again, I'm a white person. I'm not Haitian. I don't know a lot about that culture. I'm sure their portrayal of voodoo in any sense, even with Bavay, is not accurate or culturally sensitive. I'm sure there are probably issues with this episode that I am just not even seeing and they're going over my head because again i just don't know better but in terms of like how they portrayed like the system that keeps refugees in horrible conditions i think that was pretty good like it's not saying horrible conditions are good it's saying this is a stupid system and we should not do this and yeah it was a white dude who's appropriated their magic and is using it for his own personal gains rather than what it was intended to be used for yeah. I mean, I could see being upset because, yes, it's a white dude using their religion and appropriating it to do evil things. And so, like, he's not really using it appropriately. Right. But still, for like the mass market of people watching this, the associate is still going to be like, oh, this is what voodoo is. Yeah. They're not going to be thinking that next level like we just talked about. Like, no, it's not. It's what this white dude used because he knows that's what people are going to believe, the trope. So you're still reinforcing that false Mm -hmm. information. So in a way, it's kind of like the whole like Phineas Gage thing. And so maybe I should be more upset about it. But like looking at it like deeper, I could be like, well, no, we're actually showing that it's actually someone appropriating it. But if you're not looking at that deeper level, then yeah, I could see being upset because like, yep, there's voodoo. That's what it does. Brings dead people back and it's evil. And so I could kind of see that. So I mean, I can kind of see both sides, but like on the deeper level, I think the intention is that it was actually handled pretty well, which is not always what X-File does, right? I I think sometimes they they just, you know, like shapes and gender bender. Yeah. So, but I think they actually did a pretty good job on this one. Yeah. And narratively, like I thought this episode worked really well. Like it just, it all clicked and made sense. And again, it got me, they got me so many ways. I'm, I'm very impressed. Like I was really, I finished watching it and I was like, whoa, that is what I remember as, again, it's like that fallen angel feeling. It's like that not fallen angel was very nostalgic for me. This is less nostalgia. This is more that feeling of they got me. I didn't see that coming. And also that's messed up. And I love, I love that Wharton is being buried alive. Like that's so horrible and he deserves it. He deserves every awful thing. And so I just thought it was really good. Cause like we just, you know, came off watching Irresistible where that character just eh, ends up in prison, whatever. But like, you know, he, he gets that punishment in the narrative. And I was just really excited about that. So, yeah. That said, so there is a little weirdness oh, yeah. on the whole, like, I, I get it, like, narratively, like, oh, yay, Wharton is buried alive. But, like, that's kind of, like, Beauvais has a pretty decent-looking casket. He has, like, an actual casket. It's got, like, the pallbearer handles on the side, all kind of stuff. But, like, Wharton, who is, like, a USMC colonel, is buried the next day mm-hmm. in the clothes he died in, unattended, no autopsy, in a municipal cemetery, in a pine box. I mean, like, like Guterres was also buried in a pine box. We could assume that McAlpern was probably also, even though we don't know because we never actually saw his thing. But like, it just seems weird that even if he was like a bad guy, he was still in the military. Yeah. And they would just like bury him. No one would go there. And then again, like Beauvais a refugee and he's got like an actual casket. I, 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 again, I realize it's the visuals, right? He, it wouldn't be as cool of a scene if it was just a pine box that they mm-hmm. were doing the rituals on, right? You needed the nice black casket with the, the handles. You needed that imagery, right? But then to have like Wharton be buried alive, again, we got that nice poetic ending. Well, it just, it, like if, if you think about it, it's kind of like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, but, well, what I would say to 
that. And the only, and again, this is me justifying things in universe. So I don't know if they were thinking this at all, or if this is just me going, well, I can explain that. But I would think maybe it's because of what X said, that they're just trying to sweep this under the rug and make it seem like it didn't happen as quick as possible. And so they just Ooh, threw him in a box, okay. got him underground, and they'll make up some story about how they couldn't recover his body or whatever it is. Like So someone, so someone kind of like one up the military brass and be like yeah he may be a colonel but no this guy's disappearing maybe and so, again okay. i have no idea if, if they that. thought that at the time or no, if, i could i could if that is okay but that is what the story that i would tell myself i could i could i could that. see that it would be nice i that would actually be a good use of then having x in the story is if we got a i, I don't know how you would do that narrative without making it seem clunky though yeah but like showing that that would be cool. Of like, yeah. you know, someone taking his body and being like, we're just going to bury this right now. Or maybe like, you know, the cigarette smoking man is standing there on the side. Yeah, get, while, he uh, slips the caretaker like a, you know, hundred dollar bill yeah. or something. Or it's just like, like in the background when he like <laughs> he's driving the truck, we see him kind of like not even like focus on him, but like it's kind of like a little like, oh, who's that on the side? Yeah. Free Ooh, frame. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah. Either way. Yeah, no, I agree. Like it wouldn't. That's not a normal colonel burial. It's also weird to bury soldiers in the cemetery next to their base instead of sending them home. Like that doesn't make any sense either. But yeah. But again, it's television. They needed it for the story because if they sent the body home, he couldn't come back. Yeah. So I don't know if it's intentional or if it's unintentional. I'm not sure. Um, I did read something about they were talking about how like it was really hard apparently to find this many black people in Vancouver oh, to be like all the refugees. Oh no. <laughs> kind of like um that makes sense. But that said like we talked I talked about earlier like Kittle is the only black marine on the base that we see and every time we see him he's basically like Wharton's houseboy. Yeah. Like and I'm like is that intentional? Like they do that on purpose to make Wharton grosser. Of like to like emphasize his racism, like the only black soldier is one I'm gonna treat as like my personal servant. Like I could see that. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but you know, so maybe it was. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know but I could. Yeah, either way, it does feel a little icky. It's a little icky when you're the yeah. only black person in the show, is... and especially then because then he like is shown like beating Beauvais. Right. It's not it's not one of which I can kind of maybe understand why, because you wouldn't also wouldn't want to show like a white soldier beating a black refugee right. on television. But then to have like the only black Marine be the one doing like, you know, his white colonel's bidding to beat on this dude is also kind of. Ugh, yeah. Right? So all that said, we were like, "Ooh, they did a good job. <laughs> oh, there's some icky stuff. In the yeah. Movie. I mean, there is. But not as but not as much. Not I mean, as much as way, I expected. It could have been way ickier. Yeah. When this and episode started, like, I was like, oh, no. Oh, God. Yeah. And I had forgotten it was on the list. And then I was like, wait a minute, because they're talking about voodoo stuff. I wonder if this, and I went back and looked and it was on the list. And I was like, okay, I don't think it belongs on this list. I think you guys are just picking up like stuff that would be maybe inappropriate. And again, it could be just because if, if, again, if you look at just like, like that surface reading, it's like, oh, voodoo's evil brings back dead people. And so I could kind of see that. But like, if you look at it on a deeper level, which if you're writing those kind of articles, you should, but they usually don't because they just want clickbait. I don't think it belongs on that list. So. But that said, it's time for ratings, ratings, oh, ratings, ratings. Man, this one's hard. Everyone's favorite part of the show, yeah. or not, because you're drunk, because I said anyway, like a gazillion times. <laughs> so, um, what is your rating? I've been kind of going back and forth on this one. Um, I really liked it, though. I was surprised. 
I did not expect to like this episode and then I really did. I thought it was good. I think I'm going to give it an eight because like it was really mm-hmm. solid for me. And again, like it got me twice. Like it, I didn't see the Wharton thing coming and I didn't, I kind of saw the Chester thing coming, but I still got those goosebumps, which if you can do that, like, I feel like that's pretty solid. So going to give it an eight. Okay. All right. Oh, and there was the kitty. The kitty. There was the kitty. Kitty. Yes, which we get no information on. <laughs> but it's adorable. <laughs> yes, very adorable. So I am also going, I think, to do the same. I don't think I'm going to go eight, though, because eight is like whew, super. <laughs> it's pretty like, high. I technically haven't given anything an eight, much like you going back and readjusting Little Green Men. I did go back and retro Dwayne Barry and push it up to an eight. But otherwise, that's the only thing I've given an eight. So I'm going to go with a seven. Okay, cool. Still pretty solid. The two sevens in a row. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It could have been way worse. Definitely could have been oh, way God, worse. Yeah. I mean, just the subject matter. And, and the setting. It's ha- and-, and it's Howard Gordon writing without a partner. Yeah. So could have been. Yeah, a- which oh, hasn't been mess. great so far. But pretty good. You kind of redeemed yourself, Gordon. So, and you're going to write some more later. So that is a good sign. Uh, maybe, you know, we all have rough times. So, yeah. Hopefully, Firewalker was just your rough time. <laughs> so, all righty. All right. Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's credit time. I think it's credit time. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazian Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch season two of the X-Files episode 16, Colony. And try to figure out if the the truth truth is is still still out there. there.
If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Whoa, my Speaking. stomach just growled. I hope you couldn't hear that. Oh, I don't know. We'll do, we'll do it two more times, so it won't matter. <laughs> Unless your stomach growls every time. You're like, yeah, I love the X-Files. I want to listen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch season two of the X-Files episode 16.